Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's French Open Round 2 Catch-Up, sponsored by the Boodles. Sinistunned by Altmaier. Ostapenko ousted by Stearns. And Gail Monfils withdraws after an epic five-set win. Chris, today is the 1st of June and we are here to catch up on round two of the French Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Well, I say Tennis Weekly HQ for the first first ever time in the history of the Tennis Weekly podcast. You are recording live from a Grand Slam. You are at Roland Garros. I am live here in Paris. Um, I am right by Court Simone Mathieu at the moment. Um, I'm in what they're calling a tech center, which is a table and a booth. Um, I'm doing I'm doing my best from the audio perspective here, but I'm loving it being here. And I think it's um, adds a little bit of extra fun to the fact that hopefully you can hear Serendula being serenaded by his Argentinian supporters as he's on court right now. So in the thick of it, Joel. Oh, lovely, lovely stuff. Yes, because you've flown over from you flew over from Denmark. You've been there the last couple of days. Before we get into all the action that's happened, how have you been finding it? Um, what's your experience been like of, of the event? Well, so I haven't been for a couple of years. The last time I was here was 2019. Um, and so I did skip kind of the, the pandemic um, episode of in October. And then I was... Um, <laughs> I think that was a wise decision. I think. And then there was some ticketing kind of limitations that happened the following year. So it's back to normal there's been a lot of innovation that's happened here in the court that I'm on, mm. uh, Susan Longlom, that is actually now, it's got a roof in the making. It's not finished yet, but they've essentially, that famous silhouette of sort of the arched sides, the almost Colosseum-like gladiator ring that it used to be is now almost like the base of the Eiffel Tower. It's very steel-based. Um, and so that's something that's very different is that now it almost feels like practicality um, is leading the way here at the French Open with two roofs by 2026. So that is something that's very exciting. Mm, very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the generally the crowds the crowds been like? Has been 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 good atmosphere walking walking around the courts. I know you like to kind of peer into the yeah what's going on on the outside courts. What's it been like with? all the other fans there it's such a great atmosphere i think people who have maybe only been to wimbledon would be surprised by just how sort of um lively the french crowd is whether they're booing someone just for get asking for a line call to be checked or kind of turning on their own players if they're not playing well enough i think it is quite a unique slam in that respect and there's so many people who have turned out um for this event and it's only kind of grown since i've I've been coming here Mm. so um i think it's one where the vibe is great but i do have to admit have I stayed on my stadium ticket? No, I haven't. I've been out. I've been out watching Sloan. I skipped Sabalenka. Sorry to our listeners. I'm the ultimate Sloan stan. I couldn't not. And um, watching her play on well, clay. You were reward- I mean, you were rewarded. 
I was. I mean, that's why I thought I can't leave because this might be one of the few chances to watch Sloane win a match. Um, which <laughs> it does get a bit uh, dicey at times for her, but it was fantastic. And I think she's playing some of her best tennis. And the strangest thing was then I saw her being interviewed on one of the, uh, the setups they have here. And she was in a beanie and a hoodie and it's literally 30 degrees. So <laughs> that is confusing to me. But I've also got to see some of the doubles. I saw Alicia and Olivia um Nichols and Barnett from Team GB that we got to speak to at the Billie Jean King Cup who just just lost in such a close match they were playing against one of your favorites Trevor San but that was such a great match to watch and um I actually probably spent maybe two sets worth of time on Susan Long Long so I've been trying to take it all in for our listeners <laughs> well I mean it's been uh yeah it's been an interesting tournament so far particularly because of I think some of the the stories from the home you know from the home players as well as a lot of the top seeds falling out, which we're going to be getting onto in a sec. But I want to give a word, first of all, to Gael Monfils because his match was still going on in our, our in our last recording with uh, myself and Kim. He came through against Sebastian Baez in round one, seven five in the fifth, went past midnight. For me, it was the first truly epic night session match that actually kind of lived up uh, to its billing. But unfortunately, he's had to pull out of, of round two. He's scheduled to face Holger Rune tonight um, in the night session. A few words on, on Gael Monfils from you in terms of that result, that performance against Sebastian Baez, and then to go from such a high to what must feel such a crushing low, I think, you know, with a wrist injury forcing you out, given all of kind of the physical ailments, I think, that, that Monfils has been through of late and, and let's be honest, through, throughout his career. Well, we were all absolutely gutted at the fact that he had to withdraw because that's the last thing that you want to see because he'd had such a high moment and he's on the front of every single paper here uh, in Paris and everyone was so hyped up for that match. I mean, Monfils versus Holger Rune, one of the ultimate entertainers in the game at the moment, that was going to be the, another night session. Holger really... Rune versus the French crowd on a night match. I was, I was, yeah, I was licking my lips at that prospect. And I mean, there was going to be there were going to be scenes if he wants a line a line <laughs> checked or a mark checked. I think the French will make it known, won't I they? Know. As I've said, so I think. But for for Gail, it's it's such an unfortunate thing. But the nature of the fact is that he hasn't been playing Grand Slam tennis. It's five sets, and he was pushed his body to the absolute limit. So we we hope, and he did say it was one of the highlights of his entire career that match. And we hope that the memory of such an incredible thing will be able to be the thing that, that lives on for him from this, as opposed to not being able to continue because he's kind of in that Andy Murray camp now. We want Grand Slam highs, but we also are aware they're not going to win the slam. But either way, I mean, it is gutting, gutting for him and gut, gutting for the fans. I will always, I will always have that like lasting image of him just kind of pulling up his shorts because his legs were just like concrete uh, towards the end of the match. I mean, he even got, I think, a time violation because of how long he was taking um, between points. But um, yeah, really, I feel like disappointing for everyone not to see Monfils actually take to the court in the second round. I mean, moving on to today's action, we had a real big shock result. Yannick Sinner is out. He lost to Daniel Altmaier in five sets. Five hours, 26 minutes. He saved two match points. He needed a really long 12-minute game to, to close it out at the end. You watched majority of this match. Are you still in shock by this result? Because I think a lot of people were thinking, you know, with Daniel Medvedev out on this on this side, I think Yannick Sinner was the only top 10 player left in his quarter. This felt like this was going to be potentially Yannick Sinner's moment. It really did. And 
I was there watching almost all of that match. And what was so gutting about that was that it was a match that in no way he should have lost. He didn't stick to the game plan and he got quite passive at times and made a lot of unforced errors. And it's one of those matches where you just realize that some of those players are a cut above who can win those matches, even when they're not playing well. And um, it was really frustrating. I mean, I was um, sitting with some hardcore Sinner fans and watching Was it him- the Karota boys? They didn't get into the stadium. I was looking for them. I DM'd them, Joel. I got a response, but maybe I should have given them my seat when I popped out. Um, <laughs> because I think, or maybe they, they had to board their flight back thinking that they wouldn't have to be here for that long. But um, no carrots in sight. Um, and maybe that's why it didn't go well. They were the lucky charm. They have caused a media frenzy. I thought if I was the, you know, the French Open uh, PR team, I'd be, I'd be getting them back for all the cinematches. I mean, there's no way uh, in the Australian Open or the US Open that you wouldn't get them in there. <laughs> they find a way. They can squeeze a few more in. Karata um, boy's gone global. I can see it now. I actually do think that we will forget that they were about Yannick Sinner. They might be at Eurovision next year, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I can see it. Another crossover. See what Kim mm. has to say about that on the next podcast. But, I mean, I was I was shocked. But at the same time, from watching the match, it was a case that um, Altmaier did play above the level he has mm. ever played before. I mean, he played out of his skin. He got the ball back in play. To be fair to him, he has got to the fourth round of the French Open before. He did that back in 2020. So he does know his way around. He does know his way around a clay court. He played the big points much better. He knew when he had to push. He knew when to give Sinner the chance to miss a shot by varying the pace, varying the spin. Um, and he really did go for the backhand at times on really key points. He flanked it out down the line. And for me, I didn't know he had those kind of weapons. And it didn't, from a spectator's perspective, looked like a, a clay quarter playing against one of the biggest hitters in the game. Um, he neutralized a lot of Yannick Sinner's um, points and also then his confidence, which is what happened in that, that final set because that 6-1 set, that should have been a 6-1, a 6-2, a 6-3, straight sets win. Um, but he lost concentration. Is there a bigger story here around Sinner and Grand Slams? Because a lot of people talking about his his record in five setters at Grand Slams, particularly, I think, from from winning positions. I mean, you look at, you know, him against uh, Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon when he was two sets up, lost in five sets. He was two sets to one up against Carlos Alcaraz uh, at the US Open in, in 2022, lost that in, in five. And then today, from being two sets to one up, does he have an issue with, with closing it out? Is it a physical thing in, in terms of fitness and he can't, last the distance what do you think it is about sinner that that seems to be a kind of a stumbling block for him um in in grand slams unfortunately it's between the ears it has to be i mean i've seen some really interesting studies in terms of the quality of ground stroke and he actually comes top on the whole tour and so if you do have the best ground strokes in the game and you've got a, a pretty decent serve and he knows his way around the net there's no reason why you wouldn't be going much deeper in these tournaments and coming through in those clutch moments because you have the game um, and it's not like he has a technical failure on either wing. So for me, it's between the ears. Physically, he looked like he was still able to compete. Um, if that match kept going, he would be able to keep playing. But I don't think he would have necessarily got the win because of, you know, the way that he the way that he isn't able to keep his composure because he does he does go off the ball. He slows down the pace. I'd love to see a stat about the break points and the 30-all points, how he plays them, because I saw him in Rome last year against Fognini, and it was all Fognini, whether he um, made the shot or whether he missed it. Um, Sinner kind of waited. He didn't pull the trigger. And I think if I was Darren Cahill, I kept thinking this, I would have loved him to go out but hitting his shots 
but don't go out having regrets for the fact you didn't go for it because he really didn't. Yeah, I think that's a shame. It's almost like he 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 doesn't want to kind of die wandering, and I think he needs to have that. He goes within mentality. himself. Yeah, you've got to leave mm. it all on the court, and I feel like he'll feel he didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll have to you know wait wait and see, but yeah, this is definitely going to be a very sore loss for Yannick Sinner. But I mean, it has blown this part of the draw even wider open. We have. We had Daniel Medvedev obviously go out. Now had Yannick Sinner go out. So it means that one of these players is going to be reaching the semi-finals at Roland Garros. It could be Altmaier. It could be Dimitrov, Zverev, Molkan, Tiafo, Choric, Echeverry, Nishioka, or Wild. So it is very, very open. Who do you think could profit from Yannick Sinner not being there because I look at Zverev and obviously his his form last year carried him through to a, a semi-final he feels like he's in the perfect position but he's obviously not at that level that he was playing at last year yeah I mean previously we would have always said that we would have kind of thought that he would be the logical choice in in that sort of sense but mm. for me I think TFO has kind of shown over the last few slams that he's played that yeah. he's able to step up and kind of get some of those wins and push himself a little bit further, such as the semi-final, obviously, which he had um, in the US. So I think he's someone I would look at. I think um, Chorich is someone who we've seen some good form from him recently. I'd love for him to go deep at a major. Um, but still, there's, a, there's enough um, competition in there that I think that it's not like it's completely blown open. We still have seeds. Um, it's not like some parts of the women's draw now where, I mean, it really is a free-for-all. I think there still is a, a natural hierarchy there. So I'm not going to predict that one of the the less, lesser-known names like Altmaier is going to get there because, um, one, the physical toll it's taken him, but also I think um, over five sets, the know-how of some of the players there, I think will get them through. And I think no one is talking, to me personally, no one is talking about Grigor Dimitrov. He had a very handy win for me, what looked like against Emil Rusevori. I thought he was potentially going to come unstuck there, but came through um, in straight sets. So, um, yeah. Don't get too excited. Don't jinx it. We always get too excited about Dimitrov. <laughs> we think he's back, know, he's back, right? and then he doesn't. So. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, yeah, how that develops. I mean, as you said, looking on the women's side, today we've had Sviontek, Rabakina and Yabor all through um, in straight sets. Sviontek came through, I think, 6-4, 6-love. It was a little bit scratchy again, I think, that first set. Um, I still think her ser- you know, her service games are very vulnerable. You've got to go after that second serve. You really have to, oh, yeah. to have a chance. And It's there for and the taking. Everyone knows it now that you've got to make more than you miss mm. and try and shorten the points. And there's a clear game plan against playing um, Eager now, but yeah, I mean, I was at Rabakina first on um, Susan Long this morning. And I think her margin is the most impressive thing that I saw is that she has a big serve she can rely on mostly. You know, the service percentage has been an issue, but she's she's hitting really big and she's hitting to big spaces. So she's actually finishing an awful lot of points on overheads or at the net. And I think that's something that she's working the point. I think that's something that's so underrated from some of the um, some of the players that I've seen so far from being here is that she's willing to not hit the winner on the first shot, which early in her career, she probably would have gone for a bigger shot. Um, and I think it's that margin that's so so important and allows her to play such great front foot tennis. So I don't want to, again, as I say, kind of um, predict something because all of my predictions are gone, but she's the only one who's looking like it will take a lot to unstick her. Do you feel like Rabakina is playing the better tennis at the moment than, than Sviontek? I think if they played tomorrow, I'd put money on Rabakina just because I think she's got the confidence playing against Eager. And I think 
there was a lot of problem solving in Rome in that second set, even though um, Iga did get a bit of an injury. Mm. Um, she started to figure it out. And um, and I think if you can hit that many shots on a slow clay court past Iga, um, it's a lot drier here. It's a lot warmer here. The conditions really are better for her when it comes to clay court tennis. And one player who is certainly making the most of the conditions, and I feel is is the player who maybe has had the Sorry, most noise. <laughs> <laughs> not Sarani. I mean, not not noise from me, but um, Mira Andreeva, the 16-year-old qualifier. Uh, she is going through the draw, absolutely tearing it up. She defeated. Diane Paris today, 6-1, 6-2 to get to the third round. Really enticing matchup there against Coco Goff. Some people saying, could that actually be a night match? Could it actually, are we actually going to get a, a, a women's match um, as, as the evening match? I mean, that to me is a very fascinating matchup given the amount of pressure Coco Goff has been under, you know, coming into the spotlight as a teenager and Andreeva seemingly going through the same motions um it's to me going to be very 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 interesting i mean just going around being at the event have you felt like the hype around mira and driva or have you been able to catch a glimpse of it i have seen her from a distance um she definitely does i mean i can't believe how young she is i think it's so impressive the way she's able it's to like put martina it hingis vibes it really is and um she gets it done and i think that's something we saw in madrid that's so clear is that um, she gets the opportunities and she isn't, as we've talked about Yannick Sinner, when you're younger and the pressure is off, I mean, when he played against some of the, the top players and he was young, you can swing freely. And I think she's very much in that same sort of um, stage of the career. And I think Coco talked about that as well in terms of um, the pressure is off when you're younger. Um, and now the pressure is on for Coco to kind of put together the results. And she obviously reached that French Open final. So I think it's very normal for if you do have a young player who is, supremely talented like both of those um both those women then you do get those results um early on and then it the more impressive thing than kind of the upsets such as anisimova had at the french where she had that great run to semi-finals is actually how you're able to back that up at the season afterwards so i will have a question mark in terms of where we see kind of um Mira Sonic kind of go with that but in terms of that match I don't think there's enough French interest in it Coco is so loved wherever she goes and I just came from her match literally just now before recording um, and she was pretty competent I thought she played great tennis um, kind of didn't overcomplicate things at all which was very um, very good for her um, and I, I think she has the interest but I do think she would need to be playing against a French player um, because I think Andreva might just be a little bit too unknown for the French crowd. But either way, um, if if I had a ticket for that match, um, I think that would be fireworks. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think actually, I think Rindeneck was the last French singles player left because we had Caroline Garcia uh, lose yesterday. Jean to, Jean, to... Did Jean-Jean lose today? I did not see the result. I think she did. I think I genuinely think, yeah, Rindeneck's the last left. Well, so. That can't be the it can't be the night session strategy Honestly, forever. Honestly, the the vibe Joel has been people have, <laughs> French people have been apologising to me for the French players. Um, they were saying that none of them are doing well, and it really is a bit of a state. And I mean, it is. I uh, my my friend that I'm here with, um, Elena, uh, actually thought that someone was working in the gift shop. Turned out to be Richard Gasquet. So maybe he has actually <laughs> taken that opportunity to you know supplement the income, but. Um, but no, it's been pretty tough for the French players and obviously Garcia losing early. Um, that was a really big upset, but not surprising, I would say, uh, on paper, an upset. But it's not 
it's not a happy hunting ground for the French. No. Here, so maybe it's time for them to take on some yeah. new names and new people. I mean, maybe as their that's own. why they're so. Maybe that's why they're so restless in in the crowd. I do think, you know, hearing the hearing the uh, interactions. It's um, very aggy. Tensions are high from the off. It's more aggy than usual. But um, yeah, I mean, one result that I was interested in was the Madison Keys result before we go to a, a quick break. But Kayla Day came through, upset Madison Keys, 6-2, 4-6, Chris, to me, this was the quintessential Madison Keys performance. 40 winners, 74 unforced errors um, in her loss. She can go from lights out tennis to scary tennis on the, on the other end of the spectrum, I feel like, within a click of the fingers. She really can. And it is so concerning because she's such a great player, but her time in terms of when I think she will be peaking is slightly running out in the sense that if she Mm. hasn't been able to kind of control that power, um, then when would she be able to? And you'd hope that came would come with maturity and it hasn't quite delivered. I think someone like Rebakin is a great example for keys because she's really playing with topspin with margin. She's not going for broke as much. Um, and kind of really allowing herself to make mistakes. And Kvitova talks about this. If you are a big hitter, you've got to be prepared to make errors. And it's how you respond to that. And I think, unfortunately, we see it time and time again at the moment is that um, going for so much isn't always the right um, plan if it's mm. not working. And that plan B is not necessarily something that Madison Keys actually does have. Um, or I would say, and this could be a little bit harsh, has ever really had, it has to be plan A. And then plan A is sensational. But plan B, plan, sorry, plan B, um, reads like the statistic you just mentioned where i mean no one should be hitting 70 on four stars in a match unless you're ostapenko um no um <laughs> but she'd hit 70 winners <laughs> yeah i know i know well i mean that, that does bring me on to one kind of final question before we we do go to that break there's been some talk around the fact that there's been so many seeds uh, you know dropping out you know daniel medvedev but particularly on the on the women's side do you think there's anything to do or any correlation with the back-to-back Masters two-week formats for Madrid and Rome and how exhausting potentially being in those environment, Grand Slam-like environments are then coming to this. Do you think some of the top players are just like a little bit you know, knackered from that, that setup and they're not coming into the French Open as fresh as, say, before when it was a more condensed format for those top-tier events? I mean, I'm not a player, but it has felt a bit like a slog from a fan perspective um, in terms of just how kind of dragged out some of these last tournaments have been. Um, I do I do think it's hard when you have kind of the, the three mm. almost slam-like tournaments back-to-back to bring it every tournament. Medvedev yeah. had a great one. He's had a not great one here. He felt really confident on the clay um, and it, it, it didn't kind of pan out for him here. So I think I was listening to kind of what you said about that match and it, it was a case someone played out of their skin but the nature of the game is that there are so many players who can cause an upset and across those three tournaments I mean getting a win getting a first round and getting a quarter final I think it was maybe is actually a pretty good pretty good result when you average it out but I don't I think it'd be interesting to see if the players who played all three will be able to get the best results here because obviously some players didn't play them all um, and maybe that will lead to kind of a bit more freshness because I don't know. What do you think, Joel? Has it has it been a bit of a slog this clay season? I think it, I think it has, and I think I, I still think it's just the competition is is so high and it goes so deep that maybe before in in kind of you know weaker eras of 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 tennis, if you're a top ten player, yeah, maybe you could have a a bit more of a comfortable you know route in. But I think the fact is now. 
the players who are playing in those uh, you know lower lower rankings you just can't expect to you know see yourself in in week two you really have to take it one match at a time and um I, I think that to me is is one of the reasons why we're seeing these shock results so but i do i do think mentally though having those back-to-back two weekers it, it must it must have an effect so i'm curious to see if, if any players come out and talk about it more so someone like ons who hasn't played that yeah. deep in the tournaments, could she be springing upset? Because she yeah, got exactly. a really good win today. She looked very fresh. I've been surprised with how well and how comfortably actually Onzu Ball's come through her first two rounds. But um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see because she could very well be peaking at the right moment. But um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break now. But join us in the second half where we'll look back on day four from the French Open. So don't go anywhere. The Boodles is back. After a three-year break, the ultimate pre-Wimbledon tennis event is returning to Stoke Park from the 27th of June to the 1st of July. And we're offering one lucky Tennis Weekly listener the chance to win a pair of stadium passes to join us at the country estate for a day of world-class tennis in an English garden party setting. Where you can sip champagne, dine in style and mingle with your favourite tennis stars, including... Stefan Osetsipas... Andre Rublev, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Seb Korda, Lorenzo Massetti, Hubert Hercage, and even more top players to be confirmed in the coming weeks. The Boodles is located just 35 minutes from central London and every seat in the stadium is no more than 10 metres from the court, giving every guest the ultimate fan experience on one of the UK's finest grass courts. Tickets start from £90 and attendance is strictly limited to £2,000 per day, so booking early is advised to avoid disappointment. To book, visit their website, theboodles.com. And for your chance to win a pair of stadium passes, all you have to do is follow us on social media at Tennis Weekly Pod, like our competition post and tag a friend that you would like to come with you. Maximum two entries per person, one per social channel on Instagram and Twitter. The competition closes on Sunday the 4th of June at midnight. Winners will be announced on our fourth round catch up on Tuesday the 6th of June. So listen in to find out if you are a lucky winner. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by The Boodles. And now we're going to move back to day four, Chris. And yeah, we're going to pick up where we left off. Shocks shocks galore still on the women's side. Yelena Ostapenko and Caroline Garcia both losing. Um, Garcia lost to Blinkova 7-5 in the third. Yelena Ostapenko lost to Peyton Stearns of the United States. What did you make of these results? How how surprising were they for you? Because you alluded to earlier, the Garcia result was not as surprising as perhaps you might expect. You know, when you when you look at it on on paper. What about the Ostapenko result? Is was that a surprise? Well, Garcia, they're in the same section of the draw, so none of us picked Garcia to kind of come out of that because of the fact she hadn't had the form, the pressures on, and she said she hadn't been the best headspace. So for me. Not surprised. Please, she got a win, um, but obviously ashamed to go out the way that she did. I, I was a bit, and I do always wonder why she won't take a step back on the return because it is make it is just mm. so make or break. Taking it that early is so hard to do consistently. And we saw it at the Billie Jean King Cup. Like it's not consistently it's, something that it works. It feels very exaggerated, particularly on the second serve. How far? she is in and it wasn't working and, and no. every now and again it did but that's that's a shame but on the ostapenko result 
Peyton's someone that um, has been putting together some really good form. So I thought maybe mm. it'd be a 7-5 sort of set. Maybe there might be a close set involved and then Ostapenko would come through. But she pushed Sloane all the way um, in Rabat the week before. And Sloane was playing well on clay. And that was 7-6 in the third. Sloane actually saved three match points to come through that. And based on seeing Sloane play as well, Sloane is playing some of the best tennis I've seen her play in years. And to push someone like who's as competent on clay as Sloan to 7-6 in the third um, and to really dig as deep as she did. I mean, she's obviously really confident and playing good tennis and not afraid of someone who's going to, you know, have a really heavy ball. And um, I'm really pleased for her because that was one where at the end, again, these do get really hard to close out. Um, but for Ostapenko, you have to think. She was being talked about. I had her in my final. Um, will she ever, you know, get back to that that level that she was at before or was that just a all the stars aligning um at one point and the same thing where when you're young and not young but younger i should say you're able to play like um you don't have a care in the world and a bit like a a mira andreva when like when ostapenko at the french and now it becomes a little bit harder when those opportunities might not come around as frequently yeah i agree and um you know it was impressive i think from stearns because this was her first overseas grand slam she made her debut last year Um, yeah at the u.s open so maybe she's just come over here with that yeah mentality of no one expects anything from me ben shelton in australia Mm, yeah first time abroad (laughs) um i mean the biggest i mean arguably the biggest shock was not in the singles it was in the doubles because krachikova and sinyakova went out in round one they have won the last three grand slams on the trot i think this was the first loss of the year for them they lost to akeri and hazumi forgive my doubles knowledge i don't know too much about them but yeah it's just not going right for for at the moment i know i think sinyakov has had a few injury issues recently um but yeah they would have been i think quite quite devastated by not having a good tournament and potentially they could have completed a a non-calendar career slam yeah i mean that's definitely um a really unfortunate one for them i mean they could have done almost like the serena slam the kajika slam or the sinyaka Mm. slam it could have been called but um unfortunately that didn't pan out for them um, Sanyakova was injured and was a doubt to play. So mm. I do think it's probably injury related because there's no way that that would be a result you'd, you'd see regularly. Yeah. Um, but they haven't been playing as much on the tour because of kind of the fact that uh, they are obviously ranked differently. It's sometimes hard to get that time in the tournament schedule to line up. And also they are prioritizing singles. So um, it could be a case where you can't just necessarily just play the big tournaments and always expect to come out with the win. So a big shock um Kajika for going out in the singles was a big shock to me too so um clearly she's not playing as well as she would like to um irrespective of kind of Sinyakova's fitness but um yeah I mean we might see some big surprises when it comes to final weekend here in Paris in the doubles absolutely I mean one of those surprises could could be could it be Alina Svitolina um you you had a chance to yeah to watch her yesterday what did you what did you make of her what do you what have you made of her and and how well she's taken back to back to tour life um yeah Svitolina I think she's playing differently she's not pushing she had a little bit of a habit of pushing she's really attacking and I think that's something that's so nice to see that she really is going for it I think she's got some the teeth I kind of got it between her teeth and I think from watching her play I don't think there's any reason why with her draw she can't go really really far in this tournament 
yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. And Joel, before before you go, and we didn't predict or mention her name in the preview pod, which therefore means she's not cursed. No, she's not. No, she's not. I don't think Stone Stevens is cursed either. So you know, they could uh, don't they say could anything. <laughs> I mean, looking at the men's side, we're getting to a point where that top half is a little bit of a contrast to the bottom half. We had Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz coming through. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz did drop drop a set. But um, yeah, they, they came through Cam Norrie as well against Lucas Pui in, in straights. I thought that was a much better performance than what he served out against um, against Benoit Pair. There was a little bit of controversy, though, because there was a, a double bounce that wasn't caught by the yes, umpire. Yes, I, I saw that. I was there for that. And we all thought it was a double bounce. And it was right in front of the umpire. And it's one yeah, of those... Yeah, that's what I was confused yeah. by. It was like... It was really obvious. Well, and also, it doesn't look good, does it? I mean, Cam's already not necessarily everyone's favourite for some of the on-court behaviour lately. Um, definitely not the favourite in Djokovic's books at the moment. <laughs> and I don't think he won himself many fans with that one because you know when you've done it. Do you think that? Do you think he knew at 100%. that moment? There's no way you don't from my experience playing tennis and, and the way that the ball bounces and the way mm. that the spin works. Roger Federer gave us that lesson years ago when he explained to an umpire why it had double bounced. Um, when Tom McBurdick could actually hit it so the top spin cannot be done um, if, it has, if it hasn't bounced. So it's bad form. And I think he got away pretty lightly from a booing perspective from the French crowd because I think we were all in a bit dis- of disbelief um, at that point. But yeah, Pre had his day in the sun that was a real non-event on um, Susan Longlow. That was a bit of a shame because... Oh, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I was watching the, the third set and, and Pui was... He was knocking on the door of making it interesting. And um, yeah, did I, thought make it interesting. Did, I thought Cam Norrie did very he well to keep the door. He it. did close the door and he, it could have got out of his hands because the crowd was really up yeah. for being a menace to to Norrie in that one. <laughs> um, but he must be like, please, not another French home favourite. Please, no, surely... Mm. Um, surely all the French players have gone now. I, I know. I think the French crowd may be a little bit desperate in terms of like we need we need another French player now. There's so few, yeah, not not doing particularly great. I mean, you just touched on Cam Norrie opening up the beef again. You know, with with Novak Djokovic. Um, you know, they had that tense match recently where Norrie hit uh, Djokovic, I think, with a smash, and he he's he's come out fighting, hasn't he? Because he said uh, Djokovic kept him waiting. Um, on the court, he was late and he didn't receive an apology. If I was Norrie, I would probably just say <laughs> that the reason why I hit Novak Djokovic was because I was annoyed he was late. I'm not sure that's necessarily the way things work, but whatever gets you fired up before a match. When, when they next play, I just want Norrie to just make, hey, I'm now going to be like 11 minutes late to, to well, watch. I think based on some of the behavior we've seen, I don't think it would be beneath him to do that. But Joel, <laughs> what, what I would ask is if I'm if I'm 11 minutes late to the podcast, does that mean there'll be repercussions for me? Oh, I was late for this one. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you were finished a bit late for me. <laughs> Absolutely, we're on a we're on a tight ship here. No, um, yeah, no. Well, it'll be interesting. But yeah, great to see. I think Cam Norrie's still in there. Given, yeah, it was a bit of a bumpy start. I think for the for the Brits. Um, so good to see he's still kind of flying the flag. I mean, a player who's been in rank form over well really kind of all this season Diego Schwartzman quite nice to see him coming through as well he's into the third round Kokinakis as well defeated Stan Vavrinka that was in a five fiery sets. encounter on Simone Mathieu right by where I am now that was um I've never seen cues for a match like that that was something else I think everyone saw that as being the drama surrounding that as well as um 
to see kind of a, a former champion um, up close. I think that had a great draw and that delivered, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I feel a little, a little bit um, happy for, for Kokinakis in the sense, you know, he obviously had that heartbreaking five-set loss uh, at the you know, first Grand Slam of the year against Andy Murray. So I feel like he'll see like this is almost kind of levelling out. The veterans tour. I mean, who's he going to play at Wimbledon? Um, who's coming out? Is Chilich coming back? Will it be him that put him out of the tournament? Who knows? <laughs> Um, I did like Chris, before we take a look at the order of play for tomorrow, I did enjoy, I don't know if you've seen photos of this, Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, um, he also won, he's through to the third round. He's got kind of the, the Marvel raccoon rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. He's got like a little, he's got like a little toy uh, in his bag, I think that he carries. And he had a moment with his kind of stuffed toy after beating Luca Van Ash and, and kiss, you know, he gave him a like, little kiss and uh, it's just some really funny photos of it. Just got me thinking of like any other kind of superhero animals or, or toys that you could bring to the court as maybe as like a little good luck charm. I think if he could, he'd bring his four cats. I think someone <laughs> tweeted that um this man has two cats and he said actually i've got four so oh interesting i mean he's a four cat man that's all we can say about that and i think we can um assume he's maybe slightly eccentric in that sense it feels like that's his got to be his good luck charm you know sinner had the the carotta boys but you know fakina's got his own uh marvel the cat lads it could be maybe oh the cat lads yes (laughs) the cat crew no (laughs) I mean, just before we get on to the, the order of play, just a, a quick word away from Roland Garros. Emma Raducanu was announced today that she has split with her coach, Sebastian Sachs. That's her fifth coach in less than two years. Um, she came out on Twitter and said, I've really enjoyed Seb's coaching and working with him. It's unfortunate that circumstances made it unfeasible for both of us to continue right now. And we have decided to part ways. I wish Seb all the best moving forwards. A quick word. This doesn't feel like a surprise given she's injured. I'm assuming her coach needs needs to earn a living can't do that with a player who's on the injury list it feels fair enough yeah it feels quite cut and dry she's out he wants to be a coach who's working with a player um he's someone who probably wants to keep on building up the profile of people he's working with and especially working with Raducanu who knows what the situation will be when she does come back um there's no date for that yet and not saying there should be but um it feels like they did have a good start they do like each other and um maybe they will partner in the future but um we're yet at another coaching crossroads and i think it's something that we can probably deal with when her comeback starts to build some momentum which will hopefully be this year um and hopefully with the coach that will stick around i mean dare i say being injured and off the court maybe there could be a little bit more planning um, you know, involved with, you know, that coaching decision making, because obviously it's happened, I feel, a lot of the times on the tour when it's been going on and, you know, it's been from one to the other, but perhaps with a little bit more time off the court, there's, you know, a little bit more can go into kind of the planning and what we want to achieve and all, all that sort of stuff in relation in relation to the team and how it's set up ready for her to come back further down the line. Yeah, exactly. I think um, 
She's in slumber mode. She's going to be getting the right team together, and then <laughs> she'll be taking it all. In my is book. she in slumber mode? Because I read, I read the other day. She's she's off to to China for for an exhibition. I don't know what capacity. Um, well, she's she also gonna made be it there, to but... a Dior event in Mexico. So slumber mode <laughs> is different for many people. For me, it's a lot less activity. But Joel, before we go, I was just going to say I want to introduce uh, a new segment of the show very quickly Mm -hmm. um something that i do with my friends and my family is the three p's your pit your peak and your pleasant surprise and i thought it could be a bit of fun to throw in my peak my pit and my pleasant surprise of my time at roland garros makes sense makes sense Um, it's not a quiz you can't lose joel so that's an easy one for you but my pit um unfortunately would have to be that i did actually um have a an incident with a a table that collapsed on me, which actually knocked over my champagne, um, which was a real buzzkill. Um, Somebody think of the Moe. I know, I know. I, I did get a replacement for anyone who's worried and for Kim. Um, also, I, I went straight back up there and sorted that one out. But um, my peak has got to be Sloan. I can't not mm. um, say Sloan and sing her play so well. And mm-hmm. um, in the sun... Being back in Paris, it was absolute bliss. Of course. And the pleasant surprise was that um, we managed to get on to watch Rublev on Simone Mathieu against um, Mute, and the queues were long. But anyone who is here or is planning to go, um, my top tip, if you want a pleasant surprise, uh, would be to go to M1 gate at Simone Mathieu because there is never a queue and it's in the shade in the morning. So Ooh. that's my top tip if you want that's a pleasant surprise. Tip. Those yes. are the tips the listeners came for, absolutely. Exactly. Um, and also check your table before you put a glass of expensive anything down. <laughs> well, I mean, very quickly, day six, order of play is out. Surprise, surprise. We've got another men's match in the night session. Carlos Alcaraz, Denis Shapovalov. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Did you want to know something, Joel? When I booked the ticket for the evening match, I said it'd be nice to see Carlos on that Friday. And somehow it's come true. That was in February. <laughs> it was in February or something whenever tickets Ooh. came out. So Are you seeing any are you seeing any challenges, any troubles there? Um Shapovalov living up fo- to his ceiling at the moment. A four set would be great. Mm. I'd like to see Shapovalov at least play one set really well. Um that would be ideal. I mean, there's a few you know, there's a few quite tricky tests, I think, because Djokovic does have Davidovich Fakina in his you know in his match he's third on Philip Chatrier. I also think that could be a bit of a a bit of a tester. We've got Sabalenka, Rakimova, and Mertens Pagula. Stearns Kasatkina is on Longlen with Sonigo Rublev, Sloane Stevens, Yulia Putintseva, and then we've got Schwartzman Sissipas. Massetti Nori as well. I think that's gonna be a real tough one. That's a um, good ticket. For, for Cam. Uh, Musetti, I think, has been playing well. I think he had a very he's beaten easy... him recently, yeah. Mm, exactly. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Blinker versus Svitolina as well. Um, it's opening up for Svitolina. There's a, there's a story. The stories are brewing, aren't there? Comeback stories. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, but it's very exciting. I think we're getting... Uh, despite, I think, all these kind of seeds dropping out, I was still looking at the schedule and thinking, damn, there are some really... There are some really interesting matchups, I think, there are. still on the schedule. The Argentinians are on their way past me, so there might be some songs <laughs> being sung. But um, but no, I think whatever happens, there are some fantastic players that are still um, still in the draw. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. 
yes we'll uh, we'll see how things develop but listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the tennis weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from roland garros we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts or spotify and you can also follow us on social media and you can follow what i'm up to in paris we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Saturday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round three French Open catch up brought to you by the Boodles. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.